Have you ever thought about how connection heals your brain? Knowing others and being known is one of the most powerful ways to live a healthy, connected life. Not only do I see this as a counselor, but I also heard the same message from Dr. Avery Jackson, an incredible neurosurgeon. If you listened to episode three, you got to know him and hear more of his wisdom and experience as he operates on the brain and the spine. Well, Dr. Jackson, I had an extended conversation after that episode that I felt was so powerful. I wanted to share it with you here. So here is a sneak peek into the healing power of connection. Are you in a season where you're longing for more, desiring inner peace, hoping for more authenticity in relationships? Perhaps you're feeling unsettled inside, like you know that God is calling you deeper, higher, and further than you've ever gone before. You are ready for change and it's time for something to shift. But what is it? What's been missing? My name is Amber Todd, I am a Christian counselor, and I believe that you were never meant to live a disconnected, segmented life. You were created for connection, deep, authentic, healing connection. First, within yourself, because your mental, physical, and spiritual health is interconnected. This is why I love collaborating with doctors and like-minded holistic practitioners who honor God's design for our whole being to function and operate in harmony. Life Interconnected Podcast is an intentional space you can come to every week to receive encouragement, hope, and a fresh perspective on your internal world so that you better understand your thoughts and emotions and how to live a connected life. Join this movement of mindful believers who desire to grow in our faith and cultivate a holistic approach to health and wellness. Subscribe to the podcast today and share it with your friends. Welcome to Life Interconnected. So I've shared before about being a high performer and achiever, but I also want to let you know an inner narrative that's really been difficult for me to overcome. Through my 20s, I became aware of this idea of how hyper-independent I was. You know, in America, performance and independence is highly praised, right? It's just a part of our culture. And so the idea that I can do it myself, I don't need anyone, I've got this, I made my own way, it's deemed admirable in our culture. And, you know, I've always considered myself to be highly competent, independent, you know, even from a young age, I took pride in meeting my own needs and caring for myself. I've had a job since I was 15, supported myself financially, and I worked really hard to put myself through college earning multiple scholarships. You know, I've shared a little bit that at the age of 17, our family really went through a traumatic event that led to a state of crisis in our home and my world turned upside down. And I felt like, okay, if I don't pay my way for college, I don't see how it's possible to go. And so through my teen years and into my twenties, my independence grew stronger and stronger. And I unintentionally developed this thought pattern that I have to do it all myself. Like if I don't do it, it won't get done. And so I really just put this pressure on myself and independence just became a way of life. It's all I knew. And when I entered graduate school for counseling, of course, I carried this mindset into my healing. And a part of our training at Karen University was to participate in this intentional group called Lab, 
which consisted of 10 graduate students and two professors meeting weekly for three hours. (laughs) Now think about this, three hours of 12 people in a room who all want to be therapists, who are all generally emotionally aware, want to grow, want to help others. This time of intentional, in-depth, thought-provoking, and challenging conversation is where we learned as counselors how to be counselors. You know, in the beginning, you know, we we would have all of this time to share. And what's interesting when you're sharing in an intimate group with therapists is that everyone is hyper-independent um, and, you know, maybe just self-aware of how to observe and look at the feedback, um, on, of other people. And so not only are we listening to other people and our group members as we share, but we're also paying attention to their body language. We're paying attention to their eye contact. We're paying attention to their posture. And as people share in lab, we would constantly give each other feedback. Now, you know, we would have good conversation, but then we'd have a conversation about the conversation. Like, how did you experience me when I was listening to you? Or, you know, when you crossed your arms, when I said that it made me shut down, you know, we would just give people constant feedback. And so, you know, in that setting, I realized a pattern that when I would present my struggles or, you know, something difficult I was going through to my group, I would then also quickly present a solution. So by the time I was done sharing, not only did I share what was hard, but I had a way to fix it. My group members called this tying a bow on things. You know, one, one person kindly pointed that out to me and I realized, man, you know, that is a pattern for me where I would have something hard going on in my life and then I would have an answer. And so, you know, a part of my growth process as a counselor was really propelled when we had to do this assignment, we called it a 360 interview. And we had to to call nine people in our lives to have intentional um, conversation with. Now, it was really a conversation where we were listening to them and we were asking, you know, 15 to 20 questions about how they experienced us. You know, what am I like when I'm angry or how do I handle disappointment or how do you generally perceive me when I'm talking to you or how do you view me? Now, as we asked them these questions, we were not allowed to respond or explain ourselves. We were literally just taking notes with what they said, because the point was to get a 360 degree view of ourselves because self-awareness really only has to do with how you view yourself and how you perceive yourself, how aware you are of yourself. But when you listen to other people in your life, you really get a better idea of, okay, how do other people view me? And so we talked to three people in authority over us. So mentors, pastors, leaders, people who had led us in some capacity. We spoke to to at least three peers who we consider friends, we consider being on an equal level with, and then three people who are under our authority. So maybe people I was leading in a group or um, who I was their boss. And through this process I really heard some clear messages that were, to be honest, a little bit hard (laughs) to swallow because, you know, when you view yourself in a certain way, it's hard to hear, um, maybe the, the challenging or, or negative things that, um, people share. Now it wasn't for the purpose of just being critical. It was for the purpose of growth. So it was important to go into that mindset, 
But one thing that became really obvious is that people in my life viewed me as being very independent, very strong. And sometimes that felt intimidating to them. You know, I, I, I heard the message multiple times, Amber, it seems like you just all have it figured out and you don't, you don't need us. And realizing that pattern for me of me presenting something vulnerable or hard and then having the answer, I realized, wow, like here I was thinking that I was, um, helping other people by presenting the solution for my own problems, but really it was communicating the message. I don't need you. And I think where that came from, you know, because of the tragedy that my family went through when I was in high school, I just felt like I was a burden. I felt like the, the crisis was too much for people to handle. And so when I, in the beginning, when I would share with people, it just felt like they were overwhelmed. And so I didn't want them to be overwhelmed and I'm highly sensitive. I'm, I'm, I'm an empath and I feel what other people feel. And so I would, you know, share things, but then I would say, Oh, it's okay. You know, but we're, we're going to be fine. We're working through it, you know? And I just began to do that even in my friendships. And so not only did I go through this 360 interview process, but then my second year of grad school, this was in 2011, Nate and I, um, we had only been married for two years because I started grad school shortly after we got married. And he was diagnosed with a bone tumor that we were concerned about being cancerous. And so he had to have this open chest surgery. They removed a part of his second rib and it was a very scary and stressful time. I was in grad school full time. I was working in ministry. And at that point, then I became our provider. Like he had to step away from work for four months and, you know, two really key things happened in that season that helped me to get out of that old thought that pattern. One of them was dear friends of ours, Doug and Sarah, who are some of our best friends. They, they approached us and said, Amber, Nate, we want you to come live with us. Like this is a really big surgery. We know you're going through a major transition. Sarah is a nurse and I knew that she could help me take care of Nate. We really didn't know what to expect with his recovery. And so none of us had kids. <laughs> we were all in our, you know, early mid twenties. And so the four of us, we lived together for, I think we were together for four months. And first of all, it's one of my favorite seasons of life from a relational perspective, because I felt so connected and supported also in a season that was one of the most difficult seasons of our lives for Nate and I, because of what he went through in his health. It was a very scary time. And living with another couple in our, in your adult years is a really unique thing because you get to do life together. You know, you're seeing each other in the morning and doing breakfast and having dinners together and staying up late talking. And through that season, I realized, you know, uh, my friendship with Sarah was one of the few friendships for me where it felt, um, mutual. It felt reciprocal. You know, Sarah actually was also in grad school for counseling. So we were both just wired that way to have those kind of deep conversations. And one, I just realized like the importance of receiving and the importance of like, I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't do all the things that were on my plate and take care of Nate. And so that was just such a gift and a blessing to, um, receive that generosity from our friends. And two, you know, one of my professors who led my lab group saw me struggling and she saw me, you know, trying to be strong and trying to be the typical like straight A student and keep up with all the things when Nate was literally going through one of the most difficult 
experiences of his life. And, you know, we were still, still obviously very newly married. And so I remember I had, um, a huge project due, and I think it was shortly after Nate's surgery. And I was just like, so overwhelmed, but, you know, sharing with my group, like, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed, feeling stressed. I know our papers due tomorrow. I haven't really started, but I'm going to go home, you know, and do it tonight. You know, of course that was me presenting my solution. And my professor stopped me. She looked me dead in the eyes and she said, Amber, I want you to go home and do B work. Like, I don't want you to hand me an A paper tomorrow. I want you to hand me a B paper. And that seems kind of silly maybe to some of you, but for me, that was like life changing because it was someone just saying, Amber, it's okay to be where you're at. Like you don't have to just compensate and, and, and find the answer and present this perfect paper. Like your husband's struggling, you're overwhelmed, you're stressed. Like it's okay to lower your standard. It's okay to be honest that, that this deadline tomorrow is too much. And so, wow, like that was just like these experiences with, with our friends who took us in and my professors and my lab group who really saw me and allowed me to unravel. And that was what was so healing about my lab group is that through those conversations of them helping me become more aware of my independence, they began to invite me into like, Amber, we want to see you unravel. We want to see your vulnerability. We want to hear the hard things you're going through and, and hear you not have all the answers. We want you to need us. And so I began to learn how to share with my group and just stop there (laughs) to just be okay, not being okay. You know, maybe some of you are listening to this and you've had the same experience, whether it's in a Bible study or a community group or just your group of friends. Are you the type of person who shares what's going on in your life? And then you have an answer. Are you the type of person who doesn't want other people to feel sad or uncomfortable about you, that your heaviness? Are you the type of person who's gone through grief, but you just feel like it's too much. Other people can't handle it. So you have to shoulder all on your own. We do need people. We need community. We need relationships. We need to have vulnerable, honest conversations. And we need to learn that in doing that, it's the very place where we are posture to receive what God has put in the body of Christ. God has put other things and other people because we need them. We need their encouragement. We need their insight. We need their prayer. And so here are the three main points for today. And then I want to share with you this extended conversation with Dr. Jackson, because I believe it really drives this point home. So point number one, you are created for connection with other people. You need relationships to become whole. Someone else has what you need for your next layer of healing. And by being vulnerable and honest and cultivating relationship and sharing without having it all figured out, sharing, allowing yourself to have moments where you're unraveling in front of someone else and being witnessed. So many times, you guys, we need to be witnessed in our pain. We need someone else just to listen I mean, a lot of what I do as a counselor is just listening and reflecting. It's not all these profound, you know, giving advice for an hour. I'm listening and I'm holding space because we need our pain to be witnessed. Point number two, you know, sometimes we disconnect because we believe that independence is the better way. It's a more comfortable way to live. If I don't need you, then you can't hurt me. 
And that for me comes from this place of abandonment, wounding, you know, that I, I've shared before about as a kid, I had three best friends move away. So maybe that's where it came from. I'm processing out loud right now with you. Maybe that's a part of where my hyper-independence came from. Like if I don't need you, if I can figure it all myself and just kind of maybe share with you a little bit along the way, then you, then you can't hurt me. You don't let me down. But if I depend on you, if I develop an, a beautiful interdependent relationship with you and you're human, you might hurt me. But you know what? You might also heal me. You might be the very person who brings a word of encouragement or a prayer or or insight or advice or wisdom that I need for healing. You guys, isn't that risk worth it? Isn't it worth it to be known in order to be whole and to be healed? Point number three, it takes humility and vulnerability to say out loud to others, I need you. Are you willing to be humble? Are you willing to be vulnerable? We as adults need to learn how to do this. Our kids do this naturally, right? Like my my two-year-old, when he gets hurt, he cries immediately and runs up to me and grabs me and says, Mommy, like I pick him up, I hold him. I know immediately he needs me. It feels good to me as a mom to be able to comfort him. We need the same thing as adults. Why can't we run across the street to a friend with tears in our eyes and say, I need you. I had a really hard day or my husband and I are arguing or I feel like a failure as a mom. Like, I need you. Can you remind me who I am? Can you speak truth over me? Can you pray for me? Can I come over and eat dinner with you? I don't have it in me to make dinner for my family. I'm so overwhelmed. You guys, in the church, we need to learn how to know and be known. We need to learn how to be honest about our struggles. We need to learn how to be honest about the state of our marriages, about what's happening in our home. It shouldn't just stay there. Now, of course, I believe in honoring the uh, privacy of relationships. And there's certain things that are sacred. And there's certain things that, yes, you know, need to be held closely between you and your spouse or, you know, in certain friendships, we want to honor the integrity of someone's trust. But at the same time, I think so many of us need to learn how to let people in more. Now, I want to share with you my extended conversation with Dr. Avery Jackson, because this part of our conversation that we had after our last podcast was so powerful. He shares the neuroscience behind connection and the potential for healing when we lean into the relationships in our lives. Here it is. Yeah, and I like yeah. your, you know, in, in your concept of being interconnected. You know, I, I was talking to a pastor, uh, Mark Hankins, amazing, he's a good friend, amazing guy. And one of the things he was sharing with me when he was studying the Pauline letters was that God will actually give more revelation to someone else outside of you that mm-hmm. will benefit you. And the only way that you can go to the next level is to be connected to that person. So, mm-hmm. which was amazing to me. And I thought, that's right. That's right. That, that the Lord is, is, is the head and we are his physical body and we need each other. And when we right. have each other, right? Like 
you know, like God says, you know, don't forsake the assembly, right? And so people can take that in a very sterile way. Like you go to church and if you don't go to church, you're a bad person. But, <laughs> but you know, but I don't believe it's that. I believe the God, our heavenly father is saying, look, I love you kids. And when you're around each other, you have something for your brother or sister in Christ. You need to be around them. You need that relationship with them because they are part of my body and they can supply something with you that you don't have. Right. Right. I mean, that's the beauty of, so we're talking about this concept of within us, right? Our mind, body, and spirit, but it's also connection with others and that we were not made to live disconnected, segmented lives, that God created us for relationship, that we are one body in many parts. And sometimes the Lord will entrust another person with a revelation or an encouragement or a word and allow that connection with them to be the exact propellant that you need for your next breakthrough. And the realization that we, when we learn to one another, you know, I I think about the disciples, when you look at all the passages in scripture where it says they broke bread with one another, they prayed with one another, they were for one another. And I think our, our society unfortunately, really um, brings us into these seasons where we feel so lonely and so independent, especially going through COVID in the season of isolation. Like I, I still feel like people are trying to recover from that. And do you, how do you view that in terms of the detriment to the brain of being isolated? Okay. So I completely agree with you. I'll tell you that even pre-COVID to start with, um, we saw patterns where physicians and clinicians were uh, developing more depression, more isolationism. There was actually an increased suicide rate in emergency physicians and other physicians because they were mm. not connected. And um, and then there was an increased rate of, of physicians and clinicians retiring early and leaving the workforce. And it's because of exactly what you you said. And so in terms of the brain side, you know, your parts of your brain, like the amygdala, that it will hypercharge your emotional state, you know, it, if it's, if it becomes out of control and it's focused on the wrong thing, then you can just plunge into, Hmm. um, a perception of being isolated, you know, and it's more based on what you experience and what you see physically. So again, you're not around people, with the masks, mm-hmm. there were no smiles. And so the things that would connect you normally to people weren't really there, those benchmarks or those, you know, and so so that was a problem. And so likewise, in those scenarios, you need to be around people more. I mean, also, mm-hmm. you know, appropriate physical touch and hugs and the handshakes and the mm-hmm. smiles, all of that changes your brain physiology right? And Mm. so it literally changes your brain physiology. It makes your brain healthier when Mm. you're together. So again, you know, God is saying these things in his word because he's a loving heavenly father, not this Mm. horrible taskmaster that says you have to follow the law and these principles, right? Right, right. Because he's our creator. So he knows how he created us. He knows his design. And when we function within his design, our function is optimal. And so I hear you saying when it comes to the brain and the mind, it's not just in your head, that it's also has to do with the people that you're around. It's your community. It is relationship with others. And then also this aspect of what's happening in your body and what's happening in your spirit. 
So how do you describe sort of that triune interaction between mind, body, and right. spirit? Right. So, and, and I would describe that, tr- that interaction by saying, um, you know, there's scripture that focuses on what happens to your, your state, your spirit, right? The strong spirit of a man sustains him or her in bodily pain and infirmity, right? In Proverbs. Mm-hmm. So, so your spirit will, knowing who you are in Christ, knowing your authority, knowing that you are loved, will then affect your soul, your mind, will, and emotion. And so you'll have a positive outlook. You'll have a strong mm-hmm. mind to make the right decisions. You're plugged into the Holy Spirit. The mm-hmm. Holy Spirit uses the people around you to uplift mm-hmm. you, right? And then that's going to affect your physical body in the sense that when you are, uh, uh, there's a study done looking at what happens when your emotional state isn't good versus when it's supported and how does that affect your physical body? And so the experiment Mm -hmm. was a a experiment looking at uh, pain. And so they had uh, people, subjects, put their hand in really cold ice water to say, how many seconds can you keep your hand in this ice water in terms of dealing with pain? Okay. So they did Mm -hmm. that and they had so many seconds. Then they brought this person back in with a loved one and the loved one was with them, either holding their hand or in the room with them. And they put their hand in that cold water. And every time they were able to endure pain for a much longer mm-hmm. period because there was relationship added is one example. Mm-hmm. Another example that's so important about relationship and the brain physiology in our bodies is something that happened uh, now about. 30 years ago, and it's in Time Magazine, and it was the the hug that changed medicine. And Hmm. there were these two twin daughters, twin babies, uh, um, uh, Kyrie and Brie. And one uh, was uh, Brie was doing very well, and they were both in the NICU because they were preemies. And, mm-hmm. and I believe that Kyrie was the one who had some problems. And so, and they were really concerned about her. Like the day started to go on and her organs started to shut down. And mm-hmm. at that time, and I believe this was in Maine, in the Maine area. And so the nurse saw this and the nurse knew though, that at the time the practice was you can't put babies together, even twins because of the concern of infection. Doesn't that sound similar to now? Right. right. And mm-hmm. so, and you can't put them together. Well, she said, you know, I've got to put them together because, you know, she's going downhill. I'm concerned about Kyrie and she's shutting down and we're concerned that she's going to die soon. And Mm -hmm. so they took her and and put her over into the other bassinet or put the, put uh, Brie, the good into Kyrie's bassinet. And then Brie put her arm around Kyrie and within minutes to hours, there was a reversal of the mm-hmm. functioning of her organs. And then within days, all of those organ function turned around to such a degree that she did well. And, and now they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're prospering. Wow. That, it just makes me feel emotional because we as adults need to learn how to do that. Yeah. Right. Especially in the church, we need to learn how to know and be known, how to be honest about our struggles, how to be honest about the state of our marriages, about what's happening at home. You know, so many times we feel this pressure to show up to church in a certain way, or if we knew that everyone else saw what we were struggling with or what had happened at home or on the car ride on the way there, um, that maybe we wouldn't be loved. 
or maybe we'd be rejected. Or, you know, we live in this culture where it's, you know, we can tend to cast people off if we immediately don't agree with them or they're struggling. And so I hear you saying the power of being loved and connected, even in the midst of struggle and pain is the very thing that heals us. That's exactly right. I mean, it it really Mm -hmm. is. There was another study looking at um, heartbeats and breathing. And of course, Mm -hmm. we know there are a lot of people who have heart issues. um, And, you know, and so when we are together, especially when you're with people that you love and have relationship, Mm -hmm. your heart literally sinks up. So mm-hmm. I heard that from from someone who's Dr. Caroline Leaf. I, I I was on her uh, advisory board for some years, and she came to our church, and she presented that, and I thought, okay, I got to check this out. And yeah. sure enough, I found a paper that demonstrated that in fact that that really happens is that when you connect, mm-hmm. it really makes a difference in your physical health. And so mm-hmm. the reason why I say that is because it's paramount that we become more uh, vulnerable. We mm-hmm. got to become vulnerable to the Holy Spirit so then mm-hmm. he can enter us and he can change us and help us mm-hmm. versus, oh, yes. no, I've got it. You know, and same thing with those around us. When we become vulnerable to the right. people around us, especially those in the body of Christ who love us, then the Holy Spirit can work through them to get what yes. we need to us. And now mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're made whole. Wow, Dr. Jackson, thank you so much for sharing that. And the most profound thing I heard you say that just really hit home for me, this healing power of connection is that it is connection and relationship that makes us whole. We see this with Kyrie and Bree. I mean, just that, that just brings me to tears thinking about that example of these two babies, knowing that on a core level, if babies know that, Shouldn't we as adults know that? Shouldn't we as adults hold one another? Shouldn't we as adults admit to one another that we need each other? Shouldn't we cultivate connection? You know, I talked last week about three practical ways that you can cultivate connection. Every every day, every week, are you cultivating connection? And is being connected and known and being vulnerable with others, is that the thing you're missing for your healing? Is that the thing holding you back? You trying to figure it out all yourself. You guys, I've gone to counseling for now almost two decades. But I'll tell you what, it can't stay there. I've got to walk out my healing with other people. So here is the big idea for today. Being connected, honest, and vulnerable with others supports your brain empowers your health with a strong foundation for healing. Relationship is essential for becoming whole. So here's what I want you to reflect on this week. How independent are you? Do others in your life know you deeply? Are you honest and vulnerable consistently? How many people really know what's going on in your heart, in your mind, and in your life? On a scale of 1 to 10, how connected do you currently feel to friends, to community? And if you feel like that number is not where you want it to be, I want you to go back, listen again to my episode from last week, episode 11, on rhythms for connection, and take time this week to do the three rhythms of connection. Invite someone 
Encourage someone. Thank someone. Take your next step now. It's a sneak peek for next week's episode. You guys, we are going to be digging into the four stages of building deeper community. This is one of my favorite topics. It is a topic that I talk about a lot and that I am on a lifelong journey to do the same. I'm in it with you and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for sharing the space with me today. I want you to know that God sees you. You are loved, valued, and important. If this podcast helped you, it would mean so much if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and text or post a screenshot with your friends who can join our mindful movement of believers. Let's live intentionally as God designed life to be interconnected. I'm cheering for you. We are in this together, and I look forward to next time.